Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, I want to tackle the often unpopular notion that compromise can often lead to our biggest successes. How do we make those decisions? How do Formula One teams choose what to give up in favour of what they want? And how can we learn off the back of that? Welcome to another Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. Uh, As ever, I really appreciate you all joining from wherever you are in the world. I'm actually recording this one uh, myself in a hotel room in Dubai, Uh, so I apologise if the audio is perhaps not as good. There is traffic noise outside, and we may well get the maid knocking on the door at some stage throughout this recording. Um, But there we go, that's what it is. I really appreciate everybody who sent me messages this week, uh, letting me know you're listening and where you're listening, and especially to those people that reached out after my call to action last week and left reviews and ratings in the podcast store. Um, Genuinely, that really means the world to me. It's touching that you've taken the time to do that. I appreciate it. Obviously, I'd love it if you could subscribe and follow wherever it is you're listening to this podcast from. And just tell your mates, tell everybody around about, about what we're doing here. We want to grow this community. This podcast is all about me sharing some of the things that I've been privileged enough to learn throughout my time in this unbelievable world of Formula One. A set of privileges that I know I'm very lucky to have had, that I have built a career in sharing now in the corporate world, but I now realise have just as much value to you and I, to every one of us. And that was how this podcast came about. So if it's helping you and you think it could help other people, please do just share it around. Just tell people. Tag me on any of your socials. If you do share it, I appreciate it. And I'll give you a shout back. Thank you very much. Right. In today's episode, there's lots to cover. Uh, I want to start, though, as you heard in the intro there, by talking about this idea of compromise and particularly relating it back to Formula One Because over the last few weeks, with the launch of all the new Formula One cars, brand new for 2022, very different aerodynamics, very different suspension systems, different tyres, a whole new way of going Formula One racing. The teams and the drivers have had to spend a lot of time trying to understand how to get the best out of these new cars, how to make them work, how to get maximum performance out of them. And one of the phenomenons that we've seen particularly on some cars more than others the Mercedes is a particular culprit on this the idea of porpoising or the car bouncing as it goes along the straights of the racetrack now I've done videos on my TikTok my Instagram my YouTube uh, Twitter everywhere there's videos that I've done explaining the porpoising effect why it happens how it happens but what I want to cover really today is the solution to fixing it. It's very violent bouncing and nobody wants it. It unsettles the car, it's not good for the driver or the car itself, and it unsettles the balance of the car, meaning that over the course of a lap, this doesn't just happen down the straight, over the course of a lap, it has a detrimental effect effect on the car's performance. So the teams want to get rid of it. Now there's a very easy way to get rid of this porpoising effect, because it happens when the car is running too low, in too close a proximity to the ground. At high speed, when it gets sucked down to the floor, it eventually bottoms out or gets too close to the floor and aerodynamically it stalls. And at that moment, the car pops back up again. The air flows back underneath the car and that low pressure zone builds up and it sucks the car back down again until it hits the floor or until it stalls and then it pops back up again. Then it repeats that cycle over and over again. And that's what creates this bouncing effect. So to overcome that, the teams can just raise the ride height. They can jack the car up a little bit higher to prevent it ever getting to that detrimental point where the car's so low that it stalls, aerodynamically stalls and creates this violent bouncing effect. So it's a really easy solution. Just jack the ride height up by a few millimetres and that will solve it. 
The problem, of course, in doing that, like many things in Formula One and in life, is that when you jack the car's ride height up, it has a knock-on effect of other detrimental impacts to the car's performance. The centre of gravity is raised, everything's a little bit higher, and that means as the car is dynamically going around the racetrack with these extreme forces acting upon it, it wants to pitch and dive, it wants to roll through the corners a little bit more. The mass of the car is sitting a little bit higher, and that means it has a detrimental effect on the dynamic handling of the car. Even though we're not getting porpoising or this bouncing effect, we have an overall negative impact on the car's handling ability around the rest of the lap. And so, of course, no teams are just wanting to just jack the ride height up because that will be the other knock-on effect of that. So they're all struggling and scrabbling around trying to find the best possible compromise in terms of jacking the ride height up a little bit, enough to overcome the porpoising, but not so much that they see a big negative impact around the rest of the lap. Mercedes have one of the biggest problems with this. It's just an inherent feature of their car design under these new regulations. And so they are the ones compromised most by having to jack the car up to an even greater degree to overcome the porpoising and therefore see an even bigger negative impact from the raised ride height and the higher mass of that car. They're struggling with it, genuinely. They are finding it hard to come to the right solution with this. And obviously, the reason I want to talk about this is not just to speak about the difficulties Mercedes are going through, but in the wider context, this is a very common phenomenon, and it's the same when it comes to race tyres on a Formula One car, for example. There is a compromise to be had in your Formula One race tyres, trading life of that tyre, the longevity of that tyre, against the outright performance, the grip levels of the tyre. And what I mean by that is, when you put a, car, a tyre on your Formula One car and you head into a Formula One Grand Prix, your strategy might dictate that you need to do a certain number of laps. Now, you can go flat out on that tyre straight away, massive amounts of grip when it's new. But you're going to put so much energy through that tyre by working it so hard that its lifespan will be shortened. The, the, the length of the stint you're able to do on your car will be shortened, will be compromised. And so you have to trade immediate performance and grip from the new tyre against longevity of the tyre. How many laps do you want to be able to do on it before you make your next pit stop? And it's this constant trading that Formula One teams are forever battling with. It's the same with the aerodynamic performance and the bouncing. Mercedes are having to trade overall uh, mechanical grip and uh, mechanical balance of the car by jacking the ride height up for a better aerodynamic performance, a more comfortable ride, a more stable ride to eliminate the bouncing. It's a trade-off. If you think of it in terms of tokens, they're having to spend some tokens in exchange to get the benefit of others. You might exchange, you might spend some of your early performance tokens from a new Formula One race tyre in exchange for some longevity tokens that you'll benefit from later in the race. This is a constant battle that everybody goes through. Aerodynamics is exactly the same, downforce versus drag. Very easy to build huge amounts of downforce on a Formula One car, but it might often come at the expense of drag, the force that slows the car down um, for its ultimate top speed. And so a Formula One team might have to trade absolute downforce tokens, the downforce that they want to rely on for the entire lap through the corners, they might have to trade some of those downforce tokens in exchange for a higher top speed down the straights by minimising drag. And it's this constant exchange or compromise that I wanted to delve a little bit deeper in today. Because if you stop and think about that for a moment, we all do this every single day of our lives. We are constantly compromising or trading one thing for another. It's just life. We trade, the obvious one is obviously we trade cash. We trade money for the things that we want, for goods or services, because we see that those things might help us or improve our lives, or they might just be desires. They might be things we want, but we're happy to trade 
what we see is the right amount of cash, the right amount of money in exchange for those goods or services. So the idea of trading or spending tokens in exchange for something else is obviously something that happens all the time through life. We trade our expertise in exchange for money in terms of doing things the other way around. At work, we might trade our experience and our expertise in exchange for our salaries. We get paid for giving up some of our expertise or sharing our expertise, sharing our experience and working hard, giving up the energy that it requires to go through your work. And we do the same thing with emotions. We exchange or we trade emotions in the hope that we will be reciprocated with certain emotions in return. We might trade kindness and thoughtfulness because either it makes us feel good. So we trade those emotions for an emotion that might make us feel happy or content. Or we might trade those emotions in the hope that others will return those emotions back to us, will treat us with kindness and thoughtfulness. These exchanges happen everywhere in life all the time. But if I told you there is one of these trades, one of these exchanges that we do all the time, that in my mind is the single most important exchange we ever have to decide upon making. We do it every single day, all of the time. Now, if I told you that there was one of those trades that was that important, the single most important thing we ever do, you would imagine that we would give a huge amount of energy and time and thought to how we make the decision of how we go about that trade or that exchange. But what I'm going to tell you is that that single biggest, most important trade or exchange that we do every day is also the trade or exchange that we tend to typically give the least amount of thought process in how we go about doing it to. That exchange is the exchange of our time. Now our time is the single most valuable resource, the most valuable commodity in the world. It's the only one that we can't get more of. We can't buy more of it. We can't earn more of it. We can't extend the amount of time we have. We all have 24 hours in one day and nobody can change that. Yet many of us let those 24 hours in every single day of our lives slip by without a huge amount of thought about how we're going to spend them. If you come back to the analogy of thinking of time as tokens, like we talked about with aerodynamics on a Formula One car, you think about the hours in your day as tokens, 24 tokens to spend every single day. Now, probably, let's say, eight of those you might spend sleeping, recovering, really important part of your day. You need to commit seven or eight of those tokens immediately to sleeping every single day of your life. That's how we survive, that's how we thrive, that's how we perform. That's gonna leave you with around 16 tokens every day that you've got left after you've been asleep. Now, probably for many of us, there might be a whole chunk of those, there might be eight of those that are spent working, more than that for a lot of people. That might just leave you with six or eight tokens left to choose exactly what you want to do with every day of your life. And it's those six or eight tokens, the ones that we have for our free time, the ones that we have choices to make about how we spend, that we tend to give the least amount of thought to, in the most part. The point of today's podcast, the point of this section of this podcast, is I would love it if you guys would start to think more about how you spend those six to eight tokens. I've been going through this process myself recently. I'm trying to think of it, trying to visualize it in terms of these tokens, in terms of coins. Because if you can visualize it, you can start to see and imagine how many you've got available to you. It's not many. And yet so many of us waste them. So many of us are spending these tokens and actually getting almost nothing in return. Scrolling social media, watching some complete trash on the television. Now, if those token spends actually give you something back, a bit of light entertainment, a bit of relaxation, a bit of relief from the stresses of life, fine, worth doing. But how many of us spend 
too many of our tokens, our limited number of time tokens, on doing just that. Pointless, meaningless things. Now, if we have something we want to achieve in life, whether it's getting fitter, and this is a process I'm personally going through myself here, I'm trying to improve my health and fitness by creating myself a workout routine every single morning by trying to eat healthily and by trying to spend my time a little bit more efficiently. So I now have a routine where I get up a little bit earlier in the morning, so I might sacrifice one of my time tokens, let's say, call it a time token, one hour in the morning where I might get up a bit early and I'm willing to spend that token on working hard on a workout. And I do, I push myself hard because my end goal is to get fitter and healthier. You might want to achieve a six pack. To do that, you're gonna to have to spend a considerable amount of your tokens on doing things like sit-ups, going to the gym. I also spend part of that one hour token that I'm calling it in the mornings of part of my daily routine for some other things that I like, journaling writing down the very journal that I use as the basis for this podcast. The notes I write for this podcast, I write them in that one hour of token spend in the morning. So I'll break that one hour down into smaller tokens. I'll do a half hour workout and then I'll start to write my journal. I'll maybe read for 15 minutes. I'll have my coffee in the morning and then I can start the day. Then I can get on with getting ready for work, getting the kids up, getting them ready for school the things that I have less control over how I spend the tokens because they are part of my commitments to the day. But because I have taken the decision that the thing that I want, relaxation, preparation for the day, health and fitness, the mental and emotional gains that journaling give me when I sit and do it, those things I decided are worth me spending this extra token in the morning on. I put thought into that decision, it's a very conscious decision, and having done it now for quite some time, I'm really seeing the benefits of it. That's a worthy token spend in my book. But until you start to think about spending your time in this kind of way, it's all too easy to just let it slip by. If we could see the time of our life slipping past like the grains of sand in a sand timer, we would all, I almost guarantee it, think differently about how we spend our time. I mean, I'm talking about 24 tokens in a day, but think bigger picture. Think about your life. Think about the lifespan of the average human being. If you could see that disappearing in front of you, if you could visualize it gradually slipping away like the sand in a sand timer, I'm sure, I'm convinced that we would all start to think very differently about how we dedicate those time tokens that we have that are finite, that cannot be replaced, that cannot be extended or bought or increased. They are just there and every single moment that passes cannot be brought back. What do we want to achieve with them? What do we want to try and get out of our life? What sort of things do we want to try and achieve over the rest of our days. Whether it's chasing happiness, whether it's building a business, whether it's finding the romantic relationships that you crave and then when you find them, working on them, developing them, bringing them to a point where it makes you and somebody else potentially very happy. Friendships, all of these things are things that require our time as well as the careers we might want to build the jobs we have, raising our children, they require huge amounts of this very finite resource that is time. But there's also a whole other section of our lives as well as the things that we might want to think about the bigger picture on, careers, businesses, family and everything else. This idea of spending time on yourself on a much smaller, almost like a macro level, is a really valuable and important lesson, an important process to start thinking differently about. And I'm telling you that from experience. So this idea of compromise, this idea of compromise in the same way that downforce might have to be compromised against drag, against top speed, 
this idea of trading tyre performance against tyre life, against trading a bouncing, porpoising Formula One car against a higher ride height that might have a detrimental effect around the rest of the lap. These are really important, difficult, compromising decisions, but you get those decisions right and they will lead you on to success. There is a, it's an unpopular notion, which is why I said it in the build-up to this podcast. It's an, it's an unpopular notion often that we should be compromising. There is a narrative that runs through society in some elements, some areas, which says, don't compromise. You know, you, you just go 100% on what you want or what you believe in. And there's a huge amount of truth in that. But compromise is at the very heart of everything we do. If we don't compromise, we can't sustain the kind of success we're after. If we don't compromise, we will go flat out in the early laps on our brand new Formula One tyres because look, we can overtake cars. It's an amazing feeling. We can set blisteringly fast lap times. We're gonna look great, but we're not gonna look great for very long because after just a handful of laps, the tyre life is gonna start disappearing. Other drivers who've managed to compromise on their tyres, who've managed to trade off that early performance for the tyre life, they're gonna have a much longer stint. It's gonna come back towards them as the race plays out. When we've gotta dive back into the pits, maybe they can make it to the end of the race. So compromise is absolutely key to outright performance, to getting the right results. And it's deciding how that compromise plays out, what those compromises are, how you're gonna make those decisions is the toughest part. And it's the same for us. It's about understanding what we want to achieve, what our goals are, what our targets are. We talked about this in last week's podcast, but if you start there and work back, you can start to make the right decisions, make the right compromises, make the right trades, exchange the right amount of time tokens for the thing that you want to achieve. But it needs to be thought about. And why I decided to talk about this today was because so many people that I see, that I meet every single week, don't think about that process. They don't think about it at all. They're six or eight time tokens that they have left each day to decide what to do with outside of sleep and work. They don't take any thought about what they're going to do with them. They waste that time and it's gone. And any time tokens that you're not putting towards achieving something you want feels like a waste, doesn't it? Any time tokens that you let slip past without actually getting any value out of them is a complete waste. If those time tokens were money, if that was your money, you'd give it a huge amount more thought than it was, than it is when it's time. People give massive consideration to how they spend their money tokens, their coins. They deliberate for days, weeks, months over big decisions of how they're going to spend them. And yet for time, the most valuable resource we have ever in our lives, we give it hardly any. So I'm encouraging you this week to try and just think differently. Think of your time as tokens. Visualize this big pile of coins that you have every single day. Visualize the even bigger picture of the huge mountain of coins that you have over your life that's gradually slipping through like sand in a sand timer every single day and disappearing. It's like those coins are gradually falling down through the grate of a drain and you ain't gonna get them back. Start to visualize that way of thinking and it will change the way you consider how you spend your time tokens. And I can tell you now, as I said, from experience, that just a few simple decisions that I make every day have literally changed my life for the better. And they really have. I'm seeing the benefits now of the decisions to change the way I spent my time tokens six months ago. Now I am fitter, now I am healthier. I am in a much better place. I enjoy the moments when I get up in the mornings and time that I have to myself to achieve the things that I want to achieve. I'm reaping the rewards of that now because I thought about how I was gonna spend those time tokens way back a few months ago. 
See what you can do. Have a think about it. Think about it differently to the way you normally think about it and see what results you might be able to achieve off the back of it. You never know. The next point in my diary is, I guess, linked to everything I've just said. The note that I wrote this time last week simply says, talk to yourself. (laughs) Now, that might seem like a strange note, but the reason I wrote that down was last weekend, I spent the weekend essentially on my own. My wife and children were away, so it was just me with the dogs in the house, and that never happens. That's such a rare occurrence, it never happens. I travel the world a lot with work, so I spend time away on my own, but I never do that at home without having to be busy, without having to be working. And so this was a rare occurrence. Now, whilst I obviously missed my wife and kids whilst they were away, what it taught me, and the reason I wrote the note down, was because I had, particularly on the Sunday, an entire day where I didn't really have any major commitments. I had nothing pressing. I was literally able to just be alone with me and my thoughts. And so what I did was I sat and I, and I did genuinely think. I spent time just thinking about my life, my challenges that I'm facing, the goals that I want to try and achieve, how I might go about achieving those. I spent time just thinking. And that is such a rare occurrence. It's such a rare thing. Now, to link back to what we've just said, I committed some of my time tokens to doing nothing but sitting in silence and thinking. Now, that seems on some levels like it might be a waste of a time token, but it so wasn't. Because what happens is when you start to just think, when you're alone with your own thoughts, you start to talk to yourself. And that's why I wrote down, talk to yourself. And the reason I wrote it down was I realised over the course of last Sunday, when I had this day to just sit and talk to myself, whilst I might have seemed like I was going mad, I was having some conversations in my own head, which uncovered a huge number of answers to questions that I might have had. And when I started to do a bit of research around this, I've studied some psychology in the past, and I know that this is linked intrinsically to some of the the ways people set about trying to uncover problems or or, uh, uncover solutions to problems. Monks obviously spend a lot of their life in solitude and quietude, and they do it for a very good reason. Time alone, time in quiet, time with your thoughts is one of the most valuable things you can actually do. And yet most of us don't have time to do it or don't commit enough of our time to be able to do it. In the first place, I very rarely am anywhere quiet enough to be able to dedicate that amount of time to do it. I've got kids running around the house. I've got dogs, got my wife. The telly's probably on somewhere. It's very different or difficult rather to find a quiet place. And that's what I found myself with last weekend, a very quiet place. Sitting alone with my thoughts and having conversations with myself enabled me to explore some of the things that I had probably buried deep in my mind that have been weighing me down at times. Challenges that I've got with work, challenges that I might have with, uh, we're building a house right now, huge number of challenges that come along with that. There's all sorts of problems we're all facing all the time. And some of us often don't have a person that we think we can talk to. Maybe it's because you've constantly got kids around. You don't have time to sit with your romantic partner. Maybe you don't have a close enough friend that's got the time to sit with you and just discuss all of your problems. Therapy is exactly this, but that costs money. That means going to see somebody and they charge a huge amount of money for that process. It's a really valuable process if you can afford it, but many people can't. And I've had people in the past come to me and say, I just don't have anybody to talk to about some of these things. What I realised last Sunday, and I've known this, of course, in the past, but it came really along and hit me like a sledgehammer last Sunday because I was in the midst of it. We all have somebody to talk to. There isn't one of us who has nobody to talk to because talking to ourselves can be almost as valuable 
as talking these things through with somebody else. And it seems on the face of it, society has told us you look a bit crazy talking to yourself. When I was talking in my head, I wasn't talking out loud, but I could have been. There was no one else there. It wouldn't really have mattered. Society tells us that's a weird thing to do. But in truth, what I started to do was explore many of the things that I've been desperate to get out and sit down and explore for some time, but haven't really had the ability to do that because I haven't found myself in a quiet, calm place. I haven't had the opportunity to explore this with somebody else because life has got in the way. And all of a sudden, the conversation with myself started to to develop answers to the questions that I had. I found a number of solutions to challenges just by exploring these things in my head. And the reason I'm telling you is because I'm trying to pass this on through my experience as being something very valuable. Many of you listening to this are striving to be better at, at life, whether that is in business, in your career, whether it's in romantic relationships. The messages I get from all of you that send me them are all about the things you want to do better, the things you're trying to achieve, the challenges that you see in front of you that you're trying to get over or get around. We've all got them. There isn't one of you out there that doesn't have these things buried and locked deep in their mind. Committing a little bit of time, if you can find the quietude and the space and the solitude to be able to do it, is an immensely valuable process to go to go through. That conversation is as valuable with yourself as it is with anybody else. Just through talking to yourself about the problem, asking yourself the question, exploring some of the potential solutions, you will uncover answers. You'll start to find answers in that conversation. So just a quick one, really, but I found some real value in doing that with myself last weekend. It may be something that can help you. If you've got challenges, by all means, reach out to somebody. But so many of you tell me you don't want to bring other people down with your problems. You don't want to go to your partner every day and talk through the problems that you've had at work because actually you want to leave them behind. You want the evenings when you get home from work to be a much more buoyant, a much happier and a much freer place than when you're feeling trapped with the challenges you're facing at work. So if you haven't got somebody readily available to chat through or you don't want to Find a moment. It could be in the car. It could be in the shower. It could be lying in bed. Try and find a moment. Could be getting up a little bit earlier in the mornings, dedicating an extra one of those time tokens to this as a process. I found there's value in it. You might too. Now, the final note that I've written in my diary simply says, let it go. Uh, It's not a reference to that really annoying song from the Disney movie that I have heard over and over in my house over the years. It's not that. I wrote down Let It Go on Sunday night of this week just gone because it's in reference to this idea that when something goes wrong, when something happens that's perhaps beyond your control, that's not worked out, I have developed a process over the years to just let that thing go. Now, this came from my time in Formula One, which is why I thought it has value here. Because I'll just tell you the setup of what happened to me on Sunday night. Now, the keynotes amongst you might notice that this episode of the podcast is a couple of days late. I always release my podcast at 6am UK time on a Monday morning, which means I record it on a Sunday. I edit it Sunday night and then I release it for 6am on Monday morning. So that's exactly what happened this weekend. I had been at the NEC, the National Exhibition Centre, all weekend with Mike Brewer, uh, promoting the Wheeler Dealers Dream Car Show that started this week back on Discovery Channel. There's a little plug slipped in. Um, (laughs) So we're at the NEC at the uh, Classic Car and Restoration Show all weekend, meeting fans of the show, Really long days, busy days, um, but really great fun to meet so many people who love what we do on the television. That was brilliant. But I didn't get home till quite late on Sunday night, having driven back from Birmingham. Now, 
at that point, I still had to record the podcast. So I came in, I saw the kids, I had dinner with my wife, we sat and we chatted about the weekend, and then I waited until my wife was going to go to bed. The kids had gone to bed, Mrs P went to bed, and I said, okay, I'm going to go over to the house and I'm going to record my podcast. So this is now 10.30, quarter to 11 at night. I get over, I set everything up, all the recording equipment, I sit and I record Something very similar to what you are just listening to right now. It took me over an hour. It's now quarter to midnight. I get to the end. I hit the save button on the computer and the whole file is corrupted. The audio files have nothing in them. An hour's worth of podcast content that just has not recorded. And it was heartbreaking. I'm so exhausted by this point. It's quarter to midnight. I've already still got the editing to do and then uploading it. I've got another hour at least of work off the back of this. It's quarter to midnight and I've now got nothing. And I'm broken. I am soul destroyed anyway off the back of a really busy, exhausting weekend. And now having put this extra effort in, rather than just go to bed, which is what I wanted to do, to stay up and record the podcast episode... It failed massively and I had nothing to show for my work. Now, when that sort of thing happens, and we've all been there, right? We've all had stuff like this happen where something goes wrong. I mean, it's all about your reaction. Like everything in life, it's about your reaction. The things that happen to us don't define us. Our reactions to those things are much more defining of us. And if we can control those reactions in the best way possible, we stand to perform at a much higher level and ultimately be more successful. It really is as simple as that. Poor reactions to things that happen, particularly things beyond our control, let us down. We let ourselves down with poor reactions. That leads to poor performance. And ultimately, that is the thing that gets in the way of the success we all want to achieve. Now, I'm going to, before I tell you what I did, I'm going to jump back to my Formula One days and the periods of time in Formula One where at McLaren we were really zoning in on human performance, on human science, sports science, looking at the psychology of the people within our organisation, the people within our team. How do we get everybody in our organisation performing to the high level, going above and beyond, giving everything they've got so that we as a team will come closer to achieving our goals? Part of that study that I was involved in doing led us down the path of the psychology element, the emotional element of people having to deal with successes and failures, how they react to those successes and failures. Now, there are episodes from season one of this podcast on celebrating successes in the right way. And also there's a whole episode on dealing with failure. I highly recommend you go and listen to it. It was one of my favourites. It's one of the biggest lessons that I learned from the pit lane that I was able to share in this podcast series. But as part of what we learned as a team, we figured out and we learnt and we started to understand The idea that these reactions are actually far more important than things that can happen. You can put everything into developing a racing car, putting a race strategy together. The driver can put everything into practicing his race start. He can launch off the line when it all comes down to it on a Sunday afternoon and somebody can tag him in the rear wheel, spin him round and he can be off into the gravel trap and out of the race. Nothing to do with his fault. It may have been entirely out of his control that that happened. And all of the preparation and planning and the dedication to training and everything that went into that was all over and gone in a moment. Not because it was anything to do with that driver's fault, but because something happened to him. What we realised and what we started to put a huge amount of work and effort into is that although that might not have been that driver's fault, and this applies to any of us doing anything, it's that driver's responsibility to react in the right way to that failure, to that disappointment. Because that reaction is what 
decides what happens next. And that's the only thing that is under your control in that moment. So we need the driver to react in the right way because what we want to do as quickly as possible, if his race is over, is start moving forward. Is start taking whatever learnings we can from that event or from that race weekend. We need to be focusing on the challenges that we face to try and make our car and our performance better. And it might be just seven days away until the next race. If that driver spends two days being angry, being frustrated, being upset, hiding himself away in a locked room, smashing up chairs or tables, well, that's two days that are not being dedicated to moving him and the team forward in the direction we need to move. So the reaction is everything. Of course, he and the team are going to be upset. And of course, they have to process that. They have to deal with that failure. But the trick and the challenge and the way to be better is to turn that reaction into something positive as quickly as possible. So we put a huge amount of focus on that in our team back in the day, not just for drivers, but for mechanics, for engineers, when things go wrong, which they will all the time. Every single one of us have things go wrong every day. Learn to react in the right way. And you can learn to react in the right, right way by practicing those reactions. And I think I've mentioned something like this once before in the podcast, but one of the processes that we learned to go through, and we did this at the Finnish Olympic Institute in Kortenay, Northern Finland. We spent weeks there at the end of every season talking to the experts, the sports scientists, the psychologists about how to deal with failures, how to deal with things that may not have been our, our fault, but how to create the right types of reactions within our team members. And one of the things that we were told in terms of practicing is that we tend to react badly when we have a big failure. It's the big failures or the big disappointments that obviously generate the biggest poor reactions. But because we don't really react in that same way until we get a big disappointment, it's something that's quite hard to train for, or people assume it's quite hard to train for. But actually what we learnt and what we were told and what we began to develop processes to work on are that we have disappointments all the time. Every single one of us will go through most days with at least some disappointing things happening. It might be that you, your favourite restaurant didn't have your, your, the, the meal that you really wanted when you got sat down at the, at the table. You looked through the menu. It was off that day. It may be that you were writing something on a pad at work and your pencil snapped. Maybe your computer shut down or crashed at that really inconvenient moment. Maybe somebody pulled out in front of you when you were driving to work. Maybe somebody crashed into you. Maybe the traffic was just terrible and it made you late for work. Maybe your alarm clock didn't go off because you had a power cut overnight. The batteries went flat on your phone. Who knows? All manner of disappointments happen to us all the time. Sometimes the consequences of those can be bad, can be quite severe or seem at least to be quite severe. Some of them not so much but we can practice our reactions to every single one of them. So when something goes wrong, just think about your reaction. And it's easier to think about those reactions on the things that are less important to us. So if your pencil snaps and you're trying to write a note at work, that's probably not gonna have a huge consequence to you. It'll be much easier for you to stop, take a breath and think about how you react to that. And this was exactly what we were encouraged to do. Think in the moments you're able to think about your reactions because there's less pressure, because the consequence isn't so severe, because you're not so hyped up and emotion, emotional in that moment. A pencil snapping is an easy one to stop and consider and think about how you're reacting to the moment. And as these things move up the important scale, we start to practice them more and more and more. We just start to find a mechanism, whether it's taking a breath, whether it's counting to three, 
starting to think about every single reaction we have to something that just doesn't quite go perfectly. And by doing that, you start to build muscle memory about how you're going to react to disappointing situations. And it might seem a far leap between a pencil snapping and a Formula One driver being tagged and spun round at the start of a Grand Prix to mean his race is over before he even gets to turn one. But if hundreds of times in the past few weeks you have practiced your reactions to disappointment, even though they might be smaller, your brain starts to take that on as a process that you just do without thinking about it. It becomes muscle memory, it becomes habit. And so as you start to move up the importance ladder, when your alarm fails to go off in the morning and you're late for work because your battery went flat because it didn't charge up overnight, that might be a bit more annoying. If you're late for work, maybe you're gonna miss a meeting, but still go through the same process. And I, over time of doing this, over a six month period after we first were told about this and taught about this, I got to a point, and this is genuinely what happened, I got to a point where I could react to something happening in a way I had a very quick mechanism to decide what to do. If, for example, my alarm didn't go off in the morning, if I was late, very quickly I was able to assess the situation in my head and say, okay, how late am I? Is it still achievable for me to get to work on time or to get to my meeting on time? If I rush, is that possible? Can I still do that? And if it is, then you rush. Then you rush through your process, you get up, you get out of bed, you get yourself dressed, you do whatever you can to still try and make that meeting or get to work on time. But the very second the answer to that question becomes no, there's no way now I can get to work on time. I'm gonna be late. I'm gonna miss that meeting. It's physically impossible for me to now get there on time. In that moment, all the stress melted away. I was able to release the whole thing because there's nothing I can do. That moment has gone. The moment where I could still rush around to get there has gone. So there's no point in me rushing because if I'm gonna be late, being one minute late, 10 minutes late, or even 15 minutes late probably isn't going to make a huge amount of difference. I'm gonna be late. By the way, being late is the one thing I hate doing most of all. So this tells you how big an achievement this was on my part. Because in the past, that was the one thing that triggered me. And it still does, I still hate being late. But the moment I can't do anything about it anymore, my brain very quickly, and this happens instantly, clicks into a mode where, okay, I can't change it, it's happened. So now my reaction is going to be, let's get myself prepared. Let's make sure that when I do arrive for work now, I'm in the best state possible. If I get to that meeting, even if I'm 15 minutes late, let's make sure I'm not stressed, I'm not rushing, I'm not sweaty, I'm not in a poor state and gonna deliver poor performance when I finally get into that meeting. So my brain kicks into a reaction that is suitable to the moment that I'm in a reaction that will lead to, in theory, the best possible outcome when I get there. The thing that's left under my control, it takes control of. Being late is no longer under my control in that scenario, so let it go. And this comes back to the note that I wrote in my diary that said, let it go. Because on the Sunday nights when my podcast, after spending all that time doing it, so late at night when I really was desperate just to get into bed, that moment when it had gone, I had to let it go. I tried for five minutes to see if I could recover the files, but there was nothing there. It was dead, there was nothing. It just hadn't worked. And so I could have thrown the laptop around the room, I could have slammed chairs down, I could have hit the desk, I could have done all manner of different things. But what's the point? It was never going to change the outcome of me being able to achieve that podcast in that moment. My brain has developed a solution over time that means once I can no longer control that situation, I let it go. And that only happened by practicing that technique over and over again on the seemingly small and mundane challenges that I faced every day. And I've been doing it for years. Now, a podcast 
failing may not seem like the most the biggest disaster in the world and it clearly isn't but it was frustrating it was really annoying and that's why you've got the podcast a couple of days late and I'm now doing it on the other side of the world in a hotel room in Dubai but the important thing for me was that I reacted well in the moment because I couldn't change what had already gone wrong and so that's the final lesson that I guess I leave you with this week Formula One teams, my Formula One team went through a process, and I'm sure all Formula One teams go through something similar. We went through a process of developing these techniques to minimize the poor reactions when the inevitable failures happen in our life. And it's got to be one of the biggest lessons that I can now share with you. It's helped me no end in all the days since leaving the team because I am a much better person when it comes to those reactions. And as I said earlier on, those reactions are quite often what define us much more than the failure that might have happened in the first place. Those reactions are quite often the thing that can help us lead to the ultimate performance that we're all searching for. And so fine-tuning those reactions, training those reactions in your mind, I think is one of the most valuable things you can go through give it a try. And that, folks, is all we've got time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you have, please do pop over, give us a five-star rating in the podcast store. And even better than that, leave me a review. And look, if you leave me a review, and believe me, I read every single one of them, drop your social media handle in there. Give me a Twitter handle, give me an Insta handle. And I want to come and say thank you. I appreciate any one of you that takes the time to leave me a rating or a review. And if I can find a way to say thank you, I will. I'm doing it right now, generally across the board, but I will do it individually if you're willing to leave me a review. So thank you for that. Follow and subscribe. Share it around to your mates. I really appreciate any of that. Have a great week, folks. I'll see you in seven days. No, less than seven days time, because hopefully we can do this next. It'll sit six o'clock next Monday morning. You'll see the next one. Uh, but in the meantime, don't forget, do the right things and do the things right. Ta-da.